Hello everyone and welcome to Writing the Rapids. I'm your host Joe Blecky and I want to tell you about how this show works. This show is a writer curated podcast about writing and literary magazine. Now what does that mean? It means I'm a writer and I want to talk to writers about writing. I want to be an artist talking to an artist about art. It's writer curated in that, with the exception of the first couple of guests, when a writer comes on, they bring with them a stable of five to ten writers or so that they think should be interviewed on the show later. That pool of people are the only people that I am allowed to invite on the show. It's a literary magazine in that at the end of the discussion, whoever is on brings a previously unpublished piece, they read the piece on the show, and I post the text on the website with the podcast. The first person we have on is B.R. Yeager. He is the author of Amygdalatropolis out on Schism Press. It came out last year in 2017, and as you will hear, it is a book that I think is so good that I fanboy out near the beginning. So let's just get into the interview right now. Hello. Hey, man. Um, so, yeah, I, I said it on Twitter a bunch, but I'll say it here, too, so it's... Uh, so it's solidified in audio forever. But Amygdalatropolis was my favorite book of 2017. Um, I guess, when did you start writing it and, and what was the impetus for it? Um, I started writing it around 2015, um, probably mid-2015. Um, I was just kind of then, it grew out of more or less learning about a lot of these uh, message bo- anonymous message boards that were primarily dedicated to um, antisocial behavior, I guess to put it lightly. Um, lots of, you know, sharing um, fairly horrific uh, videos, images, um, coordinating uh, campaigns to ruin others uh, and such. And I had just kind of sort of fallen into down the rabbit hole of kind of like learning about the trying to learn the reasons behind why this was happening, why uh, what was the attraction to these uh, spaces that there was how there was a community growing around these different uh, behaviors or interests um, and the book more or less grew out of again just wanting to explore that more and understand it more um, and it, it justify in a way uh, the time that I was spending observing these spaces sure yeah no uh i i know that i have certainly uh when did when did you when did you discover these websites because for me it was middle school and i think you're probably maybe one or two years older than me but uh yeah uh, did you come to it that young like i did 
Um, I, I was actually pretty late to it. Um, it was of uh, I had kept I had kept on hearing about these different sites like here and there, just in reference. Um, and a friend of mine had mentioned who I was hanging out um, in person with uh, had mentioned had referenced it and I was just like, okay, what is that? And he was just like, Oh, it's where the worst people in the world come to on the internet. I was just like, okay. And he showed me a little bit. Um, and I was kind of suitably, uh, taken aback by it. Um, and it just kind of sort of stuck with me of, uh, the, and of course, like I, I had, uh, encountered different things on the internet from when I was in, uh, high school or middle school, like there was, uh, I'm not sure if you remember rotten.com mm-hmm. or, uh, yeah. And, but those all kind of stood as like, here's a website that show, it was like a faces of death type of thing where it's like, here's this thing where we're going to, um, exploit people's fascination with, uh, mortality and death and bodily in- injury. Um, and we're going to package that as a product and such. What was kind of surprising to me was seeing this uh, community grow around um, sort of the paradoxical idea of a community growing around like incredibly antisocial behavior. Um, So that seemed to be a strange and interesting paradox that was seemed to be it could have only like occurred in this age enabled by the internet um to some degree and like i i don't want to dip into any sort of aspect of like the moral panic of it's like we need that we need like a less anonymous internet because i don't believe that at all or anything mm-hmm. but um it was more just kind of like an anthropological like interest and also just that i i tend to be um very much like morbidly fascinated by things that bother me so i want to understand more about the machinations and the origins and where, why this is originating. Um, yeah. I, f- I, I find that interesting. Um, cause I came to those sites sort of the same way where I'd, I'd heard about them. And one of my friends who, you know, had older friends said, Hey, let's go on here. And we were on the, you know, you can't really browse those sites with another person in the room for too long but right. but, but I was on it enough to, to be interested and I, I must have spent a long time like two or three years going on those sites like every day uh, to the point where in your book the the discussions that your the members of, of your website have are like spot on uh, oh. And like, and that's uh, I should probably talk about that in terms mm-hmm. of just process as well, um, because I it, it wasn't explicitly like written on any part of the book or anything, but a lot of, there was like a lot of research, if you could call it that, that went into of just observing the space, um, do like just saving different threads that I found, and a lot of that. There's a good, there's probably about like good chunks of the book where I'm taking pieces of threads and rewriting them and compositing them. And, um, so there's a mix of 
real actual like posts in there along with fabrications um that came from just like spending time there and like drawing from that but i wanted to bring i wanted there to be aspects of what was really going on in these spaces into the book um have just like sampling little bits and pieces uh compositing them rewriting them um fabricating others um which just seemed in line with the whole nature of that culture of fabrication and um mixing reality with absolute fiction it just seemed very appropriate for the subject matter yeah, that sounds like I think Blake Butler said he was doing stuff like that for three hundred million. Uh, so that might be. Um, okay, I actually I haven't gotten around to. Um, I, I'm. I, I always feel like I'm like falling behind in terms of <laughs> readers that uh, writers that I want to check out or read. There's just so much out there, oh and my like God, I, yeah. I, I I still have to get like Blake Butler's on the list very much so. But it's oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'd like to check that one out. But um, well, then I I gotta know who you do read a lot. Uh, I uh, and that's that's one of the things is that um, I, I had just had a uh, interview with um, a, this uh, translator uh, Jacob uh, Sifring. Um, we were just finishing up, and this calf came up as well. And um, I'm like just very much all over the place in terms of. He was asking who my favorite writers are, and it's like it's that's tough because I tend to read one thing and go to like the exact opposite of it so it's more there's like books that i really like and very few like authors is specifically who i like will follow all of their work like there's exceptions like um ray bradbury um was really formative um a long time a little time ago and i still love reading his work um one of the books that was really uh, inspirational for Amygdalatropolis was uh, Blood Meridian, um, just in terms of a lot of the structure, in terms of how, how it goes back and forth between a very clear uh, narrative and very, um, or somewhat clear narrative, and just these very abstract and um, kind of expressionistic uh, spaces. Um, Right now, I just finished up reading um, the new. It's coming out in the summer, I believe, uh, through In the Castle um, by Shane Jesse Christmas. Um, it did uh, this book, Belfie Hell. Um, that's phenomenal. It's one of the most challenging books that I've ever read. It's like, oh, it's. Um, consistently essentially like working to sabotage your understanding of the book um as mm. you read through it it's in a really interesting and calculated way um but um beloved by tony morrison's another book uh dennis cooper i mean that's a big one i don't think i'd be able I would have been able to write Amygdalatropolis without having read a lot of Dennis Cooper. Um, um, another one, uh, Eugene Thacker uh, was actually the author who uh, he wrote a book that was also put out uh, through Schism called uh, An Ideal for Living that was 
it's just a phenomenal book um it's one of those where it's uh, every time I read it, I have a different impression of what it's saying and what it's uh, what's going on with the text. It's just a phenomenal piece of work. Um, and he also did the uh, the philosophy of horror series through for uh, zero books. Mm. Um, but I, I, it's it's tough. There's there's so much. There's <laughs> Yeah, well, there's there's too many books. I have a dozen that I've bought just this year laying next to my bed and all the overflowing bookshelves that my wife and I have. Right, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's it's just interesting to me that the uh, the pathways that that people take from books one book to another book because I I consistently try to find more things like Blake Butler because his writing was really the first sort of literary writing that seemed different than your standard academic and even the the writers who break the academic stuff still feel academic but his felt so visceral and primal and that's what drew me to amygdalatropolis the fact that it is well well written and then has these sort of experimental flourishes and true feeling online dialogues and and all of that it's it's interesting to me just that you haven't even read the guy who like i'm referencing in my brain as i'm reading your book oh that's cool i'll I'll definitely have to check him out that sounds very interesting that's wild um but it, it seems like there's a lot of really interesting contemporary work that's happening right now that um i i can't say like i don't obviously don't know if um blake butler's covering similar themes or what his intents are but um i think the way that a lot of authors are working towards integrating i guess the information overload and like access to information um that we're experiencing right now um, is really, really fascinating. Um, Eugene Thacker, like I said, is another author who I think really does that exceptionally well. Um, uh, David uh, Gary uh, Shipley, who runs uh, Schism, uh, last year he released this book, uh, The Unyielding, uh, which was the my favorite book of the year it was unbelievable um it's just a very short book but it the way that he what i'm interpreting what the way that he is kind of talking about sort of the uh, the feeling of inhabiting this space right now is just just unbelievable it bowled me over um well, I'm going to have to put that one on my list then, too. Um, another thing that I think about in my own writing a lot is the concept of audience. And mm. there's a lot of things in Amygdalatropolis that, that feel particularly challenging for the audience. There's a lot of edible or edit. Oh, my goodness. Edible sort of things that are going on. I noticed that in, in some of your short fiction as well. If you want to talk about like that or just sort of your relationship with the concept of audience while you're writing. 
Yeah, um, this one was... Again, it's, it's, I think that's one of the things that I imagine, um, like I can't really speak too much with authority with this kind of being my first book that's really kind of, or anything that like, this is being the, one of the first things that like I've gotten much of a response from. Um, I haven't really necessarily like had to consider an audience um in fact, until maybe after um, Amygdalatropolis. Um, but I, I, it's that cliche thing of that you're kind of writing the book for yourself in a way. Like you're the audience is, I think there's that, um, uh, I love that uh, Anthony Burgess quote of, I don't remember exactly what it is, but like his ideal reader is like a lapsed Catholic who's read all the same books that he has, mm-hmm. um, where it's just kind of like it's that similar thing of where I was mainly focusing on. I mean, it's silly to say that the audience is doesn't the idea, the concept of an audience when you create a work doesn't play into it. Um, but ultimately, the my idea of who would be reading it differs very much from maybe the people or maybe not from the people who are actually picking it up. Um, so like, that's something that, you know, I wrestle with in terms of trying to tell the story with a degree of clarity that I think that needs, um, or a lack of clarity that I think that needs. Um, but I don't know. It's tough. It's I, I'm not. Ex- I'm still trying to kind of figure out where that fits in in terms of am I doing something to, um, yeah. I don't know. That's that's tough. I haven't thought about that too much. Okay. Um. Then can I ask you about your your education up till this point? Do you have uh, grad school, undergrad, drop out of high school? What's going on here, there? Um, I so uh, I had uh, I had done gone through high school. Um, I had done one, I, and I did incredibly incredibly poorly throughout high school. I, I had some issues going on during that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did one semester at community college. Um, ended up dropping out after that it i just did not go well um did about 10 or 12 years uh working a just a variety of jobs um from bartending um house cleaning uh was doing a call center doing like health surveys and stuff for like the cdc or um time magazine like it's i don't know why i'm putting out those like prestigious names it was not a prestigious job at all it was like a um a hundred people in you know at these computers and everything just like calling people and asking for data or anything like that it was a uh, terrible but easy job um mm-hmm. did uh was doing like some social work for uh five years um and then i decided to go back to school um and then i so pretty recently i got my a uh, few years ago i got my associates um like with a focus in um electronic media um uh, specifically like interactive media, which I haven't really done too much with, but that's a field that really interests me. Um, and right. I'm actually currently right now, um, back in school working on, um, writing and research for, uh, sociology. Oh, okay. 
yeah, for my bachelor's. Um, I gotcha. So the the reason why I ask, especially with regard to audience, is my experience in college was I'm I minored in writing because I had too many like open credits and I didn't want to just take whatever. So I ended up with a minor in writing because I took enough writing classes and I took only a few workshop classes. But they were all awful, awful, terrible, awful, no good, really bad experiences because people who who major in writing in college have a very different view of writing than than someone who just likes writing but is is taking a practical degree, which I don't know. I, I majored in broadcasting. I don't know if that's practical yet because... I have no money, but mm. <laughs> um, I, I came out of two workshop classes in the same semester with the idea that like I hate audiences and I want to punish audiences and anyone who ever reads anything of mine is going to walk away feeling like like I hate them and I wrote that piece specifically for them to read it and know that I, I don't like them. And, and so I, I used to do lots of things where I would have really strange outlandish things happen uh and then not explain them at all or or even reference them with the idea of like haha i've opened a door for you and i'm not even going to reference the door anymore and and so i was wondering if if that was a similar experience have you done any uh like independent workshops or anything like that Oh, well, I've definitely, I took a lot of um, creative writing classes uh, throughout school, even though that wasn't what I was majoring in. Um, I was I was actually going about to switch my major over to writing early on, and then I had this wonderful uh, creative nonfiction uh, writer who was just like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. Have <laughs> you thought about the trades? Um, and so uh, he pretty much convinced me with that. Um, you, uh, we, again, I, I was really lucky in that um, while I was in classes with people who weren't necessarily, for the most part, like too interested in writing seriously or they were essentially more just like filling the credit and such. I was really lucky in that I had exceptional professors. Um, mm-hmm. So that I, it ended up being like less that I was like writing for like classmates. Though I had like, I was always able to find like these like really, really terrific um, classmates who were doing, who were also interested in like doing like really interesting or like transgressive um writing in um those classes but um really it came down to i ended up being like okay i'm writing for like my professor um one of them was is this guy um i definitely recommend his book uh ben hershey who's um He's a writer and performance artist and um, musician. Um, he's been involved with kind of the uh, noise scene for a long time around here. And I actually took the creative writing class specifically because I knew that he was teaching it. We were in kind of the same in similar social circles, but never actually be. I was always interested in the work that he was doing. Um, but uh, he ended up writing this uh, terrific book, uh, The Autograph of Steve Industry. Um, th- but that was more it it really kind of came down to more of like okay these 
I'm realizing that I'm writing niche work for kind of a limited audience and everything. And but these are some people who are getting the work that I'm doing. So I might as well just kind of pursue that because that's what is interesting to me. And it's almost like impossible to make a living writing fiction as it is. So might as well do what I want to do. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. We're on the same wavelength there for sure. Um, can we talk about your, your uh, music a little bit? I listened to uh, grief songs at work the other day and I found it oh, really cool. interesting. Ah, cool, cool. Um, yeah, th- that was a uh, project. That I so my in terms of art, I kind of uh, I got in. I was actually mostly working on music since I was in high school up until maybe the past like six or seven years, um, and it mostly came out of who I was surrounded with. I had always been interested in writing. I was always inter- like writing poetry, writing these short stories. They were all really, really bad. Um, but all my friends were musicians for the most part. Um, in, I, I live in Western Massachusetts and there's like, there's a, I won't say that there's a big art scene or a music scene or anything, but there's like a persistent one <laughs> there that there's, there's five colleges in the area. So there's always okay. this renewal of um, like Hampshire college is uh, one of the areas, one of the schools around here. And it's a, a big kind of weird art school and stuff. People either like go there and like, have a terrible time because they don't know what they're doing or people have like a really, really great experience because they know exactly what they want to do and the resources are available there. Um, so mutter, uh, more or less just kind of came out of, well, I guess grief songs in specific. Um, there was a, uh, my best friend had, uh, passed away, taken his own life. Um, and that was just kind of a, uh, method of processing that to an extent. Um, and I, I'd always wanted to do, uh, I work because I was always kind of half in half out of the music scene. I never really was able to cultivate, um, much, uh, you know, formal, um, proficiency in any instrument or anything. So I gravitated towards sampling and drum machines and synthesizers and recording because I could, you know, even if I couldn't necessarily play it, I could fake it that way. Um, and I had been producing a lot of, uh, instrumental hip hop and electronic music, but I wanted to really, I, I, I really love, um, noisy, uh, aggressive and experimental like metal, um, and music like that. Uh, so I wanted to, uh, experiment with doing that some more um but entirely synthesized and with uh drum machines and such uh so that's really what came out of that um and also just kind of like wanting to blend uh sort of metal industrial with i was really getting heavy into um akira yamaoka's uh soundtrack work for the silent hill games Mm. um just kind of those really ultra resonated um resonant um ultra reverberated uh tones um and incorporating that in some way into sort of extreme metal in a way 
Yeah, I, I I noticed that on on the first track, it uh, it takes a while to fade up, but the the sort of noise behind the melody like really really overtakes uh, sort of your mind as it's as it's rising and i found i found that really impressive as as a person who also plays with noisier sounds and feedback loops and stuff just the fact that it like really just like created a sense of tension oh cool cool awesome um that that was like the it's hard to speak on like any aspect of that recording process because like I, I don't practice or anything. It's more, it's, mm-hmm. it's all very kind of like I set up to record. I lay down a track. I lay down another track. It's very like have an unconscious, um, method of working, which is, you know, the exact opposite of any of the writing stuff doing, which, um, it's cool. I, I I like having that as an outlet, though. It's like have gradually become uh, less interesting for me to um, engage in. Like I, I love music, and music's a huge part of my life, um, huge part of the writing process. But it's I'm finding it less and less necessary to actually um, create music or noise and. A certain sense, more noise. I, I'm more interested in creating noise than I am music lately. Sure. Um, yeah. Do you, man? I'm. I want. I want to not get away from from the writing part. So I'm. I'm going to steer myself back. Um. And then and then immediately lose my train of thought. Uh, I mean that's fine. I mean we can go <laughs> any direction with that as well. I. I, I I'll talk. <laughs> fine with anything (laughs) yeah no i just i'm gonna get if i let myself i'm gonna get super nerdy about like guitar pedals and feedback loops and 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 signal chains and things and and that's not interesting to anyone who's into writing right um what what is your writing process like do you have a space in which you write or do you write on your phone into google drive or or how's that work for you Oh, not uh, I'm like very, very um, old fashioned in, in to a f- fault. And it's more it, I wish that I had a more direct way of writing that was still satisfying to me. But I, I'm very, very much in terms of like writing out um, rough scenes and stuff. Um, on paper, pen and paper first, and then transcribing it all, which is um, as and obviously it was a little bit different um, with writing Amygdalatropolis because the um, the internet aspect of it was such a essential part and the research aspect of it was such an essential part Um, but for the most part any of the um, narration or the more kind of like italicized abstract portions of it were all just written by hand. Um, and that's primarily how I work. And it, it's become, it's gained to the point where it's like, um, it's the only way I wish that wasn't the only way that I knew how to do it because I, for whatever reason, if I sit down, um, with like a blank document or something at a word processor or something, it just, I'm not able, 
uh, to get it how it it sounds like in my head or like I'm too distracted to like focus on it or something. Um, so I really just have to kind of like shut myself away in a room, um, with some music or something and just really, um, get into it there. Um, I wish that wasn't the case because again, it's just like, um, like the book that I'm working on. Oh, did he drop out? The call's still there. Like okay, the next day just type it all up. Um, I, 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 I'm I uh, you, you, the call dropped out for a second. I lost oh. you after uh, after the book I'm currently working on. I think. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. No problem. So like, again, just kind of like part of the process of like the book that I'm working on right now and everything. It, it doesn't have that technological or that. Um, Technol- technology is such a broad term, but um, it doesn't have that specific like internet aspect to it. So there's less reason for me to be working on the computer. So I, like the entire thing, I'm like write I'll like write down, you know, scenes in like twenty to thirty page bursts and everything, and then the next day I like rewrite that into the word processor, and it's um, you know it. it, it it's the only process that seems to work for me, but it's becoming increasing. I'm becoming more and more aware of how cumbersome it is. And, um, I'm wishing I could like bypass that in a way, but maybe I can't. That's, that's fine too. (laughs) Well, when you transfer from paper to computer, is, is that an editing process or is it purely transcribing? Uh, there's there's definitely an editing editing process that, that goes okay. through goes on there. Um, I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a formal editing process. Like I'll just I'll realize as I'm transcribing that okay this was sloppy phrasing or um, I could say it much better this way or something. It, it, it's much there's still an editing process that goes on after that, and then yet another editing process that goes on after that and after that seemingly never ending um but um i'm uh, it it feels like a silly thing to like whine or complain about but um again it's just kind of like with you know getting older realizing that like there's limited amount of time to pursue these different um avenues or interests it's like almost like okay i wish that there was like a shortcut between you know, writing this down on paper and having it appear on the screen. Um, but you know, it, again, it's fine. It, it, it's, that's how it works for me. Yeah. I mean, if, if it works then it works, have you, have you tried experimenting with like dictation software or anything? Do you think that that would be a way to go about it? Um, possibly. Um, I haven't really, um, it, it's weird. Uh, I know it's like one of those like funny things of like, you know, writing this book about like all of these different sort of like um, sort of emerging technologies and everything. Like I'm actually like very and like having majored in electronic media, um, I'm like very weirdly hesitant, like around a lot of things, even beneficial things like dictation software. Um, but it, it somewhat interests me or anything, but like, 
it's like that being caught between like you know i i guess i like am like feeling myself getting old in terms of that i'm you know it's like i'm slightly dissatisfied with like my current process but i'm too stubborn to change it in any way um but yeah like it's not necessarily a big deal um but that's kind of been at like sort of the forefront of my mind as because i've been doing a lot of writing by hand and transcribing lately um yeah i i just find it i find it fun to play with the actual physical writing process as as part of writing with a big W. Mm. Um, There was a poet who I read an interview of his who used dictation software, but he would also be in a room with a TV on like loudly. Um, And there's more like there's some genre writers I know that talked about when the, when the Google watch came out, how, as soon as they could have gestures to do punctuation on the watch, they would totally just start writing while driving. Okay. Because it's, it's especially with, with that sense of urgency that I think a lot of writers have. It's, it's interesting to see who comes up with ways to make sure that they're writing more often and in what situations you can be writing when you wouldn't normally be writing. Right, right. No, that that sounds really interesting. I mean, one part, of, like, I would be very um, interested in that. I mean, that's the one. I, I'm still using a flip phone, like, so the oh. one and and the one um, thing that kind of interests me about like having like a smartphone or something is like, okay, like I would be able to technically like write while I drive um, because that, that's very very much appealing to me. Um, but like. I guess like I'm just like in a lot of ways I'm like behind the time I'm like I haven't really kept up with a lot of the big like technological developments like in in terms of actually accessing them like I follow them from a more like theoretical or like oh this is a really interesting development in terms of culture or society um but in terms of actually like adopting them i've been like really really slow to the game but i I mean that sounds um really interesting like what you're saying about the smart watches and being able to have the punctuation in there because i think that would be a uh, just a game changer yeah, I, I've found that I'm the exact opposite of a lot of writers with my writing. I have a lot of downtime at my jobs, and so most of my writing gets done at work, either directly into my phone because it just looks like I'm texting or on a separate tab. And it's gotten to the point where if I'm home alone on a day off of work or if I get home before my wife or something, it's harder for me to sit down and just write Mm. than than if I were actively trying to ignore something else. So I'll often put on a TV show I don't care about or a movie, something specifically with dialogue and a visual component for me to have to actively ignore in order to write consistently without checking Twitter every two minutes or something like that. That's wild. Um, but that, no, that absolutely makes a lot of sense. I, I've heard about that a lot of, um, 
like there there was like some people talking about um another kind of like phenomenon that like kind of was escaping me for a while was of uh let's plays uh, of like video games and everything and that like it's like okay like sitting in front and watching this like person do this thing for an extended period of time and a lot of people were um some people were kind of explaining it's like oh that's something that you put on in the background while you do something else and like that's kind of the appeal of that and it made a little bit more sense to me um what you said about the uh about having a job with a lot of downtime really resonates a lot um going back to the job i used to have with the um you know, like data collection uh, company and everything um, because it was such a, like a menial job and you're doing these cold calls over and over on an auto dialer and mostly getting hung up on and everything. That was at, like the actually really great part of that job was that I just treated it as like, okay, I, I don't really care about this job. None of the people here really care about it including the supervisors or anything like that i'm just going to treat this as though i'm like being paid to write so i just like would do these calls get hung up on a whole bunch you like the i'm I'm not saying that you're doing a, a especially doing a um putting little effort in but i was certainly putting as like little effort into the actual job um as possible so that's been something i've kind of like tried to seek out um when i'm just kind of like looking for a sort of a job to get by like not something that i like am seriously passionate about is like okay is can i get away with having unsupervised time so i can like essentially be at the space still get paid and everything but mainly be working on my writing for that um which i i guess I, i'm kind of curious if that's a um i'm not sure if you've noticed or if that's like something that's kind of become prevalent um people just kind of like seeking out like those positions because sometimes they're out there sometimes they're not but man when you find them it can be really really worthwhile yeah i i have noticed that in the back of my mind whenever i think about trying to advance in in the broadcasting field there's always a little twinge of yeah but that's eight hours of work that you're actually going to have to be working uh, right. for, cer- for certain jobs but i am finding that Whenever I'm filling in for one of the full-time people or something, there's there, there seems to be just a lot more downtime in the workday than than I expected, especially as a child. When I was a kid, I used to think that like working meant you were working, right? And, and I'm finding that that's not necessarily the case a lot of the time. It didn't help that my first couple jobs were in factories too, or or food service, so there there wasn't downtime. If, right, if there was right. downtime, something was wrong. Right. And, and it was more stressful. Right. So. No, absolutely. I, I mean, like, they're definitely, like, few and far between. Uh, um, I mean, I'm not sure how unfortunate it is, but the, unfortunately, the uh, that place um, had closed down. I mean, I could talk forever about that place. It was, like, the most bizarre, like, one of the most, like, bizarre environments in the world. And, like, there's one of the another really beneficial aspect of it was um just the voyeuristic um which like is very helpful with writing at with any job is just like having such a wide range of people 
congested into this like one space. Um, and then furthermore, you're calling people and asking um, them incredibly intensely sensitive questions about their health, their family's health, uh, um, their what their different opinions are on A, B, and C. Um, so there, it, it was like very ideal um, for the purpose of writing for a number of reasons, both in terms of like the amount of downtime and just like providing like grist for the mill, like constantly. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I had a, a coworker whose, whose second job was in a call center for a politician. And it's sort of that same thing where, uh, it's a, it's a strange, world to be in it's where where certain social norms just don't count and then the actual workplace itself he said there was a guy who would bring in a tv and a gamecube every day because on the side he was a pro-am super smash bros player (laughs) so he'd just be playing smash bros all day while calling people up and asking them to vote for whoever that's amazing wow (laughs) Well, yeah, and it's like it's those um, with so with this place where I was working uh, was they had like it could have been like a really excellent place to work, but they were um, just incredibly stingy in terms of like what how you spent your time while the auto dialer was going like so they didn't like they barred you from reading they barred mm-hmm. you from like doing anything else so like one of the few things that you could do was actually just like write like so there wasn't really because um you could just pretend that you were taking notes about the calls that you were taking or something like that um but like you couldn't do anything as blatant as like having like a like a Nintendo DS or something or like sure. having like a book out or something. So like it was I guess it worked also for like that benefit of having it so limited in what you were able to do that just to kind of like stay sane, like the one thing that I could like do was just like spend that time writing. So it each it would be like immensely productive is just trying to kill all of this time um with nothing else to do aside from writing which uh is actually i think we were kind of talking about of like having um needing to actively distract yourself from or actively ignoring distractions it's kind of along those similar lines of like um how the only way that i can fight this boredom is by doing thankfully this like really constructive productive creative thing um and so I, I, it was just great being able to kind of like milk that while i was there yeah absolutely I, I find that as well in in my in my job where if i've if i've watched youtube videos for the entire shift then i feel really gross but if i you know, get home at the end of the day and I've written 6,000 words, well, then I feel way, way, way better. Right, right. Um, there was another short piece of yours that I read that I really liked that I, I wanted to talk about. It's from uh, Cartridge Lit Magazine, The Unauthorized Guide to Circles Drain. Right. Cool. Yeah, no, th- that actually um, portions of that made the, the, it, their way into uh, Amygdala Metropolis as well. Um, 
that actually came about from um, there was a call for submissions that was going out uh, around that time, probably maybe uh, I forget when that was published. Maybe either like 2013, 2014. Uh, June uh, 3, 2015 is what it says on the website. Okay, yeah. And then I, I, so I think that I wrote it in 2014, um, and then obviously it went through the submission and acceptance um, process. So there was a call for submissions for a completely unrelated to Cartridge Lit um, for a anthology of... Um, of framing it as strategy guides for games that don't exist and just to kind of take that premise and run for run with it in creative ways and uh, that was uh something that that just kind of grew out of that um i get like, like part of it is also just kind of i have um just like a lot of i i find like especially right now um video games as a medium to be like really really fascinating for um the potential for uh storytelling or like just creating a um experience kind of outside of like a direct narrative um so i'm interested in like incorporating that in to some areas of uh my writing as well um so that mostly just kind of like emerged out of like a lot of things. I, I mean, that's just kind of like stuff that's like on my mind, like about mortality and sure, you know, sorrow and like you know, like Alzheimer's. Um, so it's just like things that I'm like constantly thinking about. Um, so like it, the framework kind of came from the prompt in the call for submissions. Um, so it ended up kind of like writing it around those themes, um, just because those come naturally to me. And, uh, it was rejected from the, uh, declined from the anthology. And so I ended up uh, saying it to cartridge lit. They had kind of had them in mind anyway, as, uh, as like sort of my backup that, you know, like they, they might be interested in that. Okay. Uh that that raises some some questions for me. How what is your submission process like? That's uh, at this point it's kind of like hard to say. Like I I have since I had started Amygdala Tro- since I started writing Amygdala Tropolis um in 2015 until now i haven't really been focusing much i haven't been writing much short work um at all like it's mainly been a uh, long form so I, I actually haven't been submitting work for a re- the last piece of work that i submitted um was uh make the latropolis um I'm, I'm actually pitching a uh I probably shouldn't talk about it too much, but uh, pitching a nonfiction work right now, I w- was putting together um, a query. I-, I just recently learned how to write a query letter, or like, I, I-, I mean, it hasn't even say that I like learned how to, because I like don't feel like I'm good at it right now. It seems like a completely uh, foreign skill to. It, it, when compared to my my typical writing processes, it's uh, in terms of trying to condense ideas and being extra specific. That's just not 
what I'm wired for. Um, I'm like very much into sort of having things be open to interpretation, very like blurred and smeared. Um, and like, that's just not really, um, functional for writing a query letter. Um, but was terrific, like being able to kind of, uh, finally sort of kind of like sit down, um, learn and like have teach myself how to do that so like right now i'm like very bad at writing a query letter but it's better than before when i didn't even know at all how to do it um i like when i was like doing short for i guess getting back to the question uh when i was doing short form um or shorter works and writing poetry and stuff um and submitting it um part of it was like just kind of like a numbers game like just you know, just sending it out to as many of the places that I read, which I, I try to read as much as I can. Um, it, it's again, it's one of those things where it's like the last year or so I don't read nearly as much as I would like to. Um, but yeah, just kind of like putting together a little letter, sending it off to as many places and just kind of like hoping, um, and, you know, most of the time it's rejections. And I feel like I tell myself that it's helped me build character. Um, but I, there isn't like, I, I, I don't think I have any like particular process that's different from what's standard. Sure. Uh, I guess what I was getting at is do you do more of like the buffalo hunting where you pick a pick a magazine or a publisher and write something specifically for that or are you more of a, a carpet bombing sort of person um I, I guess it's like somewhere in between like um i don't think i necessarily write anything with like a particular place in mind because very rarely is is the stuff that i'm writing like at least in my mind like specifically like suited towards a place that exists right now oh um, my god yeah I, yeah yeah no i i i know that we've had some <laughs> uh exchanges about that um but i i mean i guess in the example of with uh amygdalatropolis and schism i got incredibly lucky in terms of that um I was I had discovered them right around the time I was starting um Amygdalatropolis and I was really kind of like falling in love with like a lot of the books that they were putting out um I was reading uh Gary J Shipley and like uh I was his uh writing and like ways of storytelling just like and prose just like really resonate with me um and so I had discovered a uh, schism around that time and like kind of from the very beginning, I was just kind of like, okay, you know, like this is schism is the place that I want to put, uh, I want schism to put out this next book. Um, and so I had emailed them. Um, I had queried them like a very like short letter again this was before i knew how to write a query letter um along with the manuscript um i ended up giving uh, him um what's it called right of first refusal um because you know again i wanted it to come out through that press and I, I was very lucky in that he liked it a lot and it was the one time where it's like okay i sent it to this one place and it ended up working out um and 
it, I know that that's like absurdly, absurdly rare. Like I, I've, I've never experienced that before um, in any way, shape, or form. So, um, but I, I think that it is uh, like I, I, the carpet bombing stuff. Like is. I, I mean, I hear about like people doing that and everything. I think that like sometimes it's just like, I think that there you there's ways of like where you can be a patron of these different publications and everything like that, and have still have a wide range of um, potential publishers. But I mean, like I, I obviously hear the stories of people who've like who's in like you know, stuff that like would not fit at all at like a one publication or another. Um, because like they, the sender clearly hadn't read it or hadn't read the publication. Um, so, I mean, I think that like, that's a bummer because it just adds more work onto people who are most likely just doing lots of editing, combing through lots of, work and not getting like not for any money or anything i think that that's like kind of disrespectful in a way um obviously anyone's going to do whatever they do and i don't think i have me saying that is going to change that or anything um no no certainly not certainly not but like i i think that like i try to be realistic in that you know most places aren't going to, I'm going to get more rejections. I'm going to get acceptances. Um, so I can increase my odds by submitting to more places. But I think that also has to be balanced with kind of like, just not sending it out to like wherever or anything like I, like McDill drops isn't like going to like run like a story, like a lot of like the stories I write aren't going to like run in a traditional like science fiction or horror thing, even though like in my weird brain, I kind of see it as being science fiction or horror, but like it's no one else is going to look at it like that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to like waste whatever places time with that. Um, yeah, that that makes sense. I, I feel like some of your stuff could be considered like slipstream or something. Like if you went to one of those really like niche sub sub horror genre magazines, maybe. Right, right. I mean, but I, I I do I do understand the the sentiment. It's uh, yeah, it's you know there there are certain magazines for sure that I've just put on a on a mental like oh yeah that that's not for me list. Right, right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I guess it's just sort of like having like a balance or something of, yeah, you know, like at least check out what they're doing <laughs> and everything. Like, Oh, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. It's, that's right. rule number one. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you're, like I, I don't need to have like a subscription to something, but I want to have at least like read at least like... F- five or six pieces like from an issue or something just yeah to have that feel which, um, which is not a not a huge time commitment either oh certainly certainly um um i I, would, I think too part of it comes from a feeling of urgency which we touched on before that like do you i know you're working on on longer form stuff now so maybe it's it's not so much of an issue but 
for me trying to build the resume of look at all of the places that have published my short fiction when I go to start submitting longer form stuff there is that element of it has been six seven eight weeks three months since anyone has has sent me an acceptance letter that feels really weird and now I need to start being hyper aggressive did you feel that at all oh god yeah absolutely absolutely um really like if if I hadn't if amygdala metropolis hadn't be polished I would it would still be probably in that state of just like trying again like you were saying like building your resume like trying to sort of create this and it sucks like creating this kind of artificial um, representation of like to show to others of like this is something that is serious when it really like it shouldn't that shouldn't be like a part of it um I, like i under like i i understand like and i'm not saying that like that's like a that that's like a wrong concern to have or anything because it absolutely is it's like more just kind of the structure of i guess like just like how art is in a way like a lot of ways like it's there's such a huge volume of it and to keep ahead you have to kind of like create these portfolios you have to create these um like you're saying like like essentially like a resume of that like lends oneself a air of legitimacy um when which all like takes away from like the I imagine like you feel the same way, like the most interesting part of the process or like the most engaging part of the process of actually creating work. Um, so no, it's definitely like a weird and frustrating, it can be like a weird and frustrating part. And, um, this ties into like another thing that I think about a lot, um, and kind of goes back to sort of the shift from being mostly focused on music to mainly focusing on writing, um, is like realizing like the I, one thing I've had to really adjust to is the turnaround in terms of like fee, any type of feedback um, that exists when you make the switch from making music to making write or to uh writing something um especially like when working on like a long form thing like before with like making music it's like i could like demo something out and show it to someone next week um and like this book that i've been like writing for the past like year and a half now i'm just like okay maybe in a year um someone will be able to like it'll be in a place where someone can read it or something mm -hmm. um so having to kind of adjust to the lack of immediacy, I think, in both um, response, because reading something is takes more of an investment than necessarily like listening to a song or listening to a piece of work or something. So there's a, a much greater turnaround, um, both, I think, in the submission process or even just like receiving any type of feedback whatsoever. Like again, like I, it was a, I had like been writing, uh, amygdala tropolis for, um, a year before I showed it to anybody. Um, and that was like, a, uh, like, I, I'm sure you can imagine that was like a weird state of being of just kind of like having 
all of that just to myself and in my head and not being able to like give it out to anyone because it wasn't complete and I didn't feel like it made sense um, without like some necessary like contextual aspects. Um, I'm not sure if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. I, uh, it's the thing I think about a lot too with the, the length of novels and how long it takes people to write novels. Uh, especially since, as we talked about, I sort of just find myself, if I have a spare two minutes, I'm going to be writing if I can. And one of those things where you think about it where it's like, okay, so if I write a thousand words a day, then I have a first draft in three-ish months. And then, it, you know, I'll, I'll edit it and put it through a couple drafts and that should take X amount of time. Or there's the people that always say, you know, if you write 200 words a day, you have a novel in a year. Mm-hmm. And I find that to break myself out of that, I've, I've decided to just try to write something absurdly long in a long amount of time and not allow myself to be finished with the first draft until that certain date hits. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm forcing myself to write an amount of writing that's a non-trivial amount of writing every day for a long period of time for a piece that's going to be so long that the editing process is going to have to take a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, just thinking about about novels like Infinite Jester, uh, Bolaño's 2666, stuff that's a thousand pages long when it finally gets edited down uh, is an interesting thing to sort of to try to write something in the ballpark of that size creates a patience uh, when it comes to wanting to receive feedback. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, that I like, especially I think over the past year, I've tried to commit myself more to writing longer for an extended piece of time. Like, um, it's probably like very apparent in um, the last book that it was very much written in like short chunks because there's that's it bleeds over into like the style and like of Mm -hmm. the book and that there's just these like small uh, small chunks and that was like this being like my the longest thing I had ever tried to do or anything that was like the only way that I could like conceivably try like tackling like a novella or a short novel or something like I, I just couldn't wrap my head around it any other way and so it was like practice in a lot of ways um and so now, like, I, I absolutely, like, I think it's been very, very beneficial for me to, like, yeah, just, like, block out um, an extended period of time where, like, that's just what I'm going to be doing. Like, instead of just, like, writing a, a line here or, like, a paragraph here and there and kind of connecting them all together, um, it's like, no, I'm going to, like, figure out what the scene is and then, like, write 30 pages and then like take a break and then like write another 30 pages and then cut it all together. Um, I'm not sure if it necessarily, for me personally, I'm not sure if that has impacted my desire to receive some form of feedback. Um, like, like that's still like always like lingering there. It's not even necessarily like looking for like validation or anything, but like it's of just like 
some direction of like, does this make any sense? Because uh, what appeals to me is stuff that like is on the cusp of like making sense and like being incredibly open to interpretation. Um, and sometimes I'm not necessarily sure where that line is because maybe there's too much information that's only in my head um, and not on the page or sometimes even like me, uh, I'm sometimes there's like too much information. I actually have to like make it a little less clear and like a little more blurred. Um, I'm not sure if that gets back to your original question, but yeah, it, it hasn't necessarily affected kind of like my desire of having some sort of like criticism or like feedback to like point the way as to where I'm going. Um, I, I, I'm when you were talking, I, I guess I just have sort of a cur- uh, question I was curious about because um, it's something that again, like you really find mostly in writing i think um i'm wondering like how what's the longest piece of work you've done that you've abandoned oh that i've abandoned well i have something that's like forty-seven thousand words that i haven't touched in two years that's probably the longest that i have any sort of quantifiable thing when i was in late Middle school, I started trying to write like an epic fantasy sort of thing that filled many, many, many notebooks. Um, okay. But I, I have absolutely no idea. Like I, w- I was doing all the world building and stuff too, so I have somewhere I'm sure large pieces of poster board with maps drawn on them and lists of cities and things like that. So I guess that's probably it. But I, I have no idea how long, in terms of word or page count, it would be. Okay. Cool, cool. That that's interesting. I I'm just always kind of curious about that. Um before I I started this um this one that I'm currently working on and everything. I was uh working on another one that was kind of coincide another book that was kind of coinciding with the work I was doing on Amygdalatropolis. I like got to like maybe 150 pages. I set it aside, um came back to it. And like realized I absolutely hated it, and like I, I felt that I had. It, it felt like a bit of a rite of passage in a way, um, in that it's like, okay, I'm really serious about this because I just abandoned. Um, I, I have no idea how many hours of like just work and not just like the actual writing itself, but like trying to inhabit the space, thinking about this topic, and. I'm tossing it away now. Um, but I guess that's just how it goes. Um, so, so I'm always curious about like what other people, what other people's experiences are with that, um, how it impacts them, whether it's kind of demoralizing or something that just kind of, you kind of part of the nature of the beast. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I feel like there's, there's a flippantness to how I treat my work sometimes where especially my flash pieces like oh you, like that's done I wrote it it's done like but you spent 20 minutes on it oh I don't care it's done um and and especially with like longer pieces the one I, I mentioned that's like 40,000 words long 
like the the subject matter actually just did defeat me like Mm. it got it got too real you know and it's like oh man i can't like i'm gonna make myself unhealthy if i keep digging into this story and it's not even like the story itself was anything you know uh like traumatizing for most people or anything you know it wasn't hyper difficult in terms of like the global what we decide is 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 r-rated or something like that right but like i was digging deep into the psyche of a person who like i had a relationship with that ended pretty brutally and in my trying to understand this person i i made this person pretty much like a one-to-one representation of the main character in this book okay since my my character work in that book was so in the character's head it forced me to really try to think about the thought processes of this person while being fair to them right right and like it just you know the k-hole that that creates for you is just too gnarly sometimes no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I can definitely relate. Like, um, I, I think that that's uh, what you're talking about in terms of trying to be like represent kind of someone um, accurately in a way. And then like the effort that it takes to try to write honestly about someone that um, is outside yourself and that you might actually like have like I, I don't know what the situation was like i guess speaking only of like this past work of like inhabiting this trying to inhabit this psyche so that you're able to write honestly about it um can be like uh, there's like i don't know what the word for it. It, it it's like jar it's like shaking in a way it can be at least i think um but that yeah. that's interesting in terms of so that was that was more a matter of um kind of needing to do so in terms of um i guess like lack of a better term like your health um than necessarily being dissatisfied with like the writing yeah uh yeah because i was doing things with with the writing that i was really enjoying i was doing samuel beckett style really 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 long paragraphs and like like the the element of irrealism was was pretty spot on with how i liked it so so yeah it was just um just like oh man i can't like it was making me not want to write at all to yeah, to think okay. about writing it and i was like all right well i need to save the practice because this work isn't that important that it's worth you know, uh, pulling a Hemingway and not being able to write anymore after being done with it. Right, right. No, that, that's that's intense. That's heavy, um, for sure. I think that's why when I went into that, uh, the work that I wrote that I that we talked about on Twitter that I sent you that has almost the exact same subject matter as Amygdalatropolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I right. wrote it in second person. Right, right. Uh, How? 
how I, oh sorry yeah um so that's like i guess like that's something i've always been curious about too is um because i mean like there's always like everyone like always tells me like don't never never fucking write in second person um and it, like not to that degree but there there it seems like it's Again, there's like that, like those silly rules that like get thrown up and thrown out. Um, and, and I find like I, I myself, again, like being have out of step with like a lot of, um, I guess like art in general. Um, uh, the, do, do you find that like the process changes significantly when you're writing in second person? Because that's something I like try to do um, to an extent. And like I sometimes like I guess in terms of like the barriers of what one is able to. Actually, let me rephrase it like this. Do you find that the notion of the reader as being the you an issue or do you feel that it's just a way of helping the reader inhabit this other character um yeah um so it is interesting in one of those workshop classes somebody wrote a piece in second person and we were talking about it and i i i I think was the only person in the class who suggested that the writer was trying to make the reader feel like the character Mm. and everybody else, including the professor sort of said, no, it's more of like the writer talking to themselves and making themselves a character, but pulling back from saying I, so that it's directly at them. And that Mm. felt sort of unacceptable to me. Uh, because yeah, like I'm reading yeah, it no, and absolutely. it says you like I'm not like voyeuristically behind the shoulder of the writer as they're writing their piece like that's not how I want to think about writing and then I read a, a book called This is the Water by Yannick Murphy that is written in second person entirely and um, the main character is very clearly like a middle aged woman who's a mother of like three girls and so reading that as a person in, in their 20s who is male was was an interesting experience but with with the piece specifically that you read i wanted the the reader to feel like the character so i left out a lot of specific things about the character i think really the only descriptions was like you feel like you're overweight which is a truism for most people anyway um right and um, I, I, like, I, w- I was really interested in, in the idea of guilt. Like, how do I make mm-hmm. a person feel guilty? So I said, well, mm-hmm. what if I make you the character who is entering into this world and doing these things? Right. I, I think that's what I was kind of trying to get at was... Um I think that that very much came across in terms of, and I think that that's what escapes a lot of people who make that claim of never write second person in that, like the criticism is often it's like, Oh, well you can, you can never tell what the per, the reader is actually thinking or what if they don't relate to the thing that you're making them do. It's like, well, that's can be the point in everything you can like by writing that way, you can, implicate and force 
the reader into these uncomfortable situations that they wouldn't normally be put into. And and I think that that is different from necessarily um, putting someone in the place of like a character to make them experience that. And that can be like you're saying, that can be like really effective. Um, but I don't think it gets acknowledged enough sort of the ability for, um, I think that this is an interesting thing that, um, uh, with like some narrative video games as well too, because um, that's like one of the few mediums where it is very much it's second person. It's like, it's yeah. you, it's not that. Um, and the more interesting kind of narrative games that have, uh, that have come out um, tend to do things to implicate the, the player or the reader, um, the audience and, um, in a in a more direct way than necessarily you can get with first person or third person of kind of like you know i'm observing this thing and it's making me like feel icky or uncomfortable um there's like another way of kind of like almost like i'm not i don't mean in a negative way but like manipulating um the reader in a certain way to get a desired effect um yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, that's that's sort of something that I think about a lot. Like if you know, if someone who writes about current affairs can gaslight their audience, why can't fiction writers? You know, like right. <laughs> if, if, if Bill O'Reilly can can write a book that that changes exactly how I remember something happening, then I can totally do that with fiction. Like that's way less problematic and way safer to do. Right. Where, right. You know. Especially when, and I came to reading and writing through fantasy. Like, those were the stories my dad read to us before bed. Those were the first books that I read. That was the first type of writing that I tried to write. And when you look at a lot of people who like that sort of stuff, they they say that they like it because they get to live in another world and and do exciting things and meet up with with gods and and dragons and things like that. So the idea that second person is an unacceptable way to write is just silly to me because people read for escapism and what's more of a better escape than the writer literally acknowledging that it's you who is escaping your life and you are now here. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I think that there's like, uh, I think that there is a tendency to close the door on certain techniques, um, or, uh, I, whether it's like in an academic uh, for like academic forum or whether it's just kind of in terms of like whatever there might be of uh, like a, a writing community. But like, I mean like that even like to sort of say that that kind of like implies that there's like a monolithic, like a monoculture um, happening, which just there, there isn't, there's like all of these different, um, sectors and such the, all of these little kind of like offshoots. Um, in fact, there's like not really even like sort of like the big kind of like mono culture now with like little offshoots. It's like all offshoots now. Um, yeah. and, uh, 
I mean, like, like, which is great. Like you, and you, you find a lot of writing that does, that is like looking at, um, breaking language in like really interesting ways or like doing kind of like the engaging in like the unmentionables, like doing second person or something like that. Um, but there still is kind of like, I, I think that's like generally taught like of there's these certain things that you do and do not do. Um, and kind of like ignoring the fact that, you know, so much has already been done throughout like the history of printed word um, and people are still continuing to do weird and amazing things with it. Um, but like, I'm not sure why I'm trying to get with this, but like trying to like there is still that like there's like the ghost of doctrine that still mm-hmm. kind of hovers over like a lot of um writing and literature i think yes absolutely i i agree 100 percent, and i think that the ghost is is constantly people are trying to re-solidify it and make it physical again and i i think that that is part of why like we talked about earlier my my concept of audience is like no i don't like you right uh, right be, because like that immediately frees you up to just do whatever you want if if you're expecting to either have people not like what you write or or to not care about what they think about it no absolutely absolutely i i think that that's like um yeah there there's uh, i i definitely think that there's like i like tend to like be attracted to like lots of works that like where there's like a slight like even like sort of just like a slight sense of like antagonism to it in like an artistic way of like like there's like the sense of like confrontation and and, like or like um it might be or like a, a work that like forces you to approach it on its own terms um where you there you can like you can bring your own stuff to it and everything but to like fully appreciate or understand something you have to approach it on sort of the way that it is presenting itself um that can be like incredibly challenging i think incredibly fulfilling to engage with or read um you know like i i mean like i also like i i don't just like uh challenging stuff but like i think that it's great having that in the mix as well yes i agree uh 100 so let's let's end the the conversation proper there i think that's a good ending point um and then you have sent me a piece and i don't know if i have it open anywhere so if you want to if you want to say a couple words about it and and then jump into it Okay. That's that's uh, I think something. The one thing I did want to point out is that the piece that you are about to read s- filled me with such delight upon reading it because it is almost exactly like a piece I wrote in college, like down to the name. Oh, that's and, terrific! <laughs> and, like, like the writing can feel so lonely sometimes, and the fact that we were on almost the exact same wavelength uh, was was just delightful. No, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I imagine, I, I, no, it's it's wild how that happened. Like in terms of, uh, we're all like engaging in like the same kind of like 
me like these like medias and like seeing these kind of like same things like it's absolutely makes sense and now the end in lists by br jaeger 13 videos of idiots getting owned by pit bulls eight sure shot ways to ruin your job interview five photos of dictators as children 19 public displays of affection that will make you hate your situation five of the earth's fastest adapting diseases 10 reasons drinking at work makes you more productive 13 photos of the worst cities in america 23 sexy actresses who died too young five of the dumbest ways people are hoarding water six signs your neighbor will probably invade your home 30 pictures of teens doing it at prom Eight movie stars who've run people over with their cars. Fifteen videos of animal abuse that will make you ball. Ten reasons you should embrace po- poverty. Twenty-three photos taken seconds before their subject died. Seventeen back alley plastic surgery procedures that will give you night terrors. Five videos of drought fires that will blow your mind. Twelve professions that will make you chronically ill. Eleven haunted graveyards and the things you should never do in them. Seven pictures of children who played with firearms. 27 animals that have gone extinct since you were born. 21 teen selfies that will make you want to die. 13 drugs that might make you shake off, shave off your genitals. Five machines making your career obsolete. 22 photos of the least inhabitable places on earth. Five colleges with higher suicide rates than Salt Lake City. 11 fruits that won't exist in 2021. Five of the weirdest paintings of war criminals. 10 people who have made terrible decisions in life. And seven reasons you shouldn't swim in stagnant bodies of water. You can find B.R. Jaeger on Twitter at B.R. underscore Jaeger. That's Y-E-A-G-E-R. You can find him on the web at brjaeger.wordpress.com. And his book, Amygdalatropolis, is out on Schism Press. You can contact me at NoisemakerJoe on Twitter or NoisemakerJoe at gmail.com. Or you can find me on my website, NoisemakerJoe.com. 